0: This is a teaching message from Church of the Living Water of Austin. Well, if you want to turn anywhere, we're probably going to start in Genesis. So, If you turn to Genesis chapter 1, we have uh, started ministering to the married. And in this subsection, we're talking about qualities of A godly marriage, of a good marriage. Now we have distinguished between ministering to the married versus ministering to the unmarried. And we've on purpose set out to let those of you that are married remind you that you've made your choice. And now it's time for you to make your marriage solid. Now it's time for you to be true to the vow that you made before God concerning this. And so we are now ministering with the intent of talking to you if you are married and you are a believer. And let me make sure that I state this. If I didn't state it clearly before, we're talking to you. Not talking to your spouse. Talking to you. Understand? So listen and make sure that you're not trying to apply this to somebody else. Apply it to yourself. Okay, so one of the things we looked at previously was we wanted to clarify and make sure that our heads were right concerning Paul when he mentioned in First Corinthians chapter seven about troubles and marriage. I wanted you to understand when he talks about troubles, he's not talking about being in a in a uh, uh, distressed situation. That's not what he's talking about. He was saying that in marriage there are unique sets of challenges that if you're not married, you don't have to worry about. But if you are married, you signed up for it. You said, I do. And it came with the, I do. And I'll be honest with you, it wasn't in the fine print. It's just in life. It just goes on that way. And so we have to understand that, that when Paul was saying these things, we don't want you to get caught up with people with the wrong mindset about marriage. Uh, marriage is what God created. And what God did was good. And if we don't have the goodness in our marriage... Uh, it's probably something having to do with us and we need to correct ourselves and get in proper position. All right. So we want you to understand that if you were, say, to uh, find somebody that you thought or some couple that you thought had just the perfect marriage and you were to go and talk to them and ask them and uh, find out about uh, what goes on in their marriage, you'll find out that they have those stresses, too. <laughs> you'll find out they have those same challenges. And the thing is that, hey, the challenges are the same across the marriages. I mean, you know, the situation might be slightly different. It's just that how do you deal with them? Okay, and so you might be in a distressed situation, and you might not understand that God didn't intend for you to be in a distressed situation in your marriage. And so I want you to understand. And the goal of this message really is to get you to a point where you can enjoy your marriage. That's the whole point. So, you, so that you might enjoy your marriage. But in order for you to do that, it's not going to be automatic. You're going to have to do your part. And so because of these stresses, because of these troubles, we said there are qualities that will have to be at work. There are qualities that will have to be put into action in order to get the best out of marriage and to have an enjoyable marriage. And so we're going to look at these qualities. Now when we... To get into these qualities, i put it this way. When we look at, and we'll look at the definition of marriage, we'll look at the marriage vows. And when we look at the definition of marriage, when we look at the marriage vows, we're going to find in them really what we need to know about the qualities that we have to have in marriage. So, if you have been in this ministry any length of time, I'm sure you're familiar with our working definition of marriage. But I'm going to state it again. Some of you might know it, some of you might not. But marriage is a divine institution, created by God, whereby two rational, free moral agents, a man and a woman, who are born again, choose to enter into a covenant relationship with one another. Which means with another imperfect person. And you do it for a lifetime. So marriage is a divine institution created by God. God instituted it. So it's a divine institution created by God, whereby two rational, free moral agents, again in this day and time, understand this is a male and a female, who are born again, choose to enter into a covenant relationship with another imperfect person for a lifetime. And that's marriage. One more time. It's a divine institution created by God, whereby two rational free moral agents, male and a female, who are born again, choose to enter into a covenant relationship with another imperfect person for a lifetime. And so this brings us to quality number one. Turn to Genesis chapter one, if you haven't already done so. But the first quality is born again this is necessary Genesis chapter 1 hold on let's get there and the first question especially in this world in this day and time uh, nowadays and for those of you who are unmarried listening to this pay attention Okay. the question might be why why do we need to be born again and now, again, I want to make sure the audience we are reaching out to in this series of teachings are them who are married. But if you're sitting there and you're not married and you're hearing this, you better learn. Okay? Because we have people out there who are born again and don't think it's a big deal if they get involved with people who are not born again. Okay? Remember, we, we drew a distinction. It's different ministering to the married versus the unmarried. See, the unmarried you have a choice to make. We want to make sure that your choice is solid. And so, when we get this definition, you might say, well, I don't see that definition in the Bible. Why is born again so critical? Why do I need to be involved with somebody who's born again? Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So, God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. So he created them, male and female. And God blessed not the male, God blessed not the female, he blessed them, male and female. And God blessed them, and God said unto them. So this is the blessing of God. So God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful. And multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. So he instituted marriage, male and female, and he said, fill the earth. Now, I do want you to understand this. You know, some things don't need to be said. Some things really don't need to be said. He was not trying to fill the earth with a bunch of heathen. And so how do we end up with heathen running around when those who aren't born again are married? Or when those who are born again, who are married, don't stay true to their born again qualities. so again, some things need to be understood. God just didn't want babies for the sake of babies. He didn't want just people for the sake of people. I mean, we're we're suffering right now because there are a bunch of people in marriages who are not born again. Who aren't staying true to that quality. You see what happens. I, I don't know if you think this way, but I do think this way. You know, I have children, and one day they will be married, maybe. And I want them to have a selection of good choices. And then they will have children one day. And I think it would only be right to have a selection of good choices. It shouldn't, like, it shouldn't be like trying to find a needle in a haystack. So God wasn't trying to fill this earth with a bunch of, can I say it this way, baby's kids? You know where I'm coming from. And furthermore, turn to uh, First Kings. Chapter 11. I'm trying to think which scripture was best for this, but First Kings chapter 11. And furthermore, God gave them instructions just in case that they didn't get it, in case they were a little bit on the slow side on the uptake. They didn't understand. God, we just thought you wanted us married. We thought you just wanted us to have children. First Kings chapter 11. One of the most storied kings in all of time was King Solomon. But look at this. Verse number 1 of 1 Kings 11. But King Solomon loved many strange women. You know what strange women are? Women that aren't connected with the living God. But King Solomon loved many strange women together with the daughter of Pharaoh, a woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Zidonians, and Hittites. Of the nations concerning which the Lord said unto the children of Israel, You shall not go into them, neither shall they come in unto you. For surely they will turn away your heart after their gods. Solomon clave unto these in love. And we understand he had 700 wives, princesses, 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it came to pass when Solomon was old that his wives turned away his heart after other gods. And his heart was not perfect with the Lord his God, as was the heart of David his father. What happened? He married outside of the family. And I want to make sure that this is clear again. Sometimes you have to make things clear in this day and age. you got many different people believing many different things coming from the same Bible. The issue was not race. The issue was belief. The issue was their faith. So God wasn't trying to fill this earth with a bunch of heathens and furthermore he gave instructions to his people to marry in the faith. Again, it's not about race. It's about belief. Again, there are many, and some of you know the Bible. You look to Ruth. Look to Rahab. It wasn't about race. Who's your God? Who do you serve? And we look at all kinds of other things. Again, let me get right back on subject, but, but let me throw this in here. We look, at all, we look at qualifications. How much money do they make? What kind of car do they drive? What kind of family do they come from? You know what's their physical makeup? I wonder what my children are going to look like, but are they in the faith? So here's my getting back on subject, talking to you who are married, and you are a believer. You' made your choice. You are with who you are with. You made a vow before God. Now it's up to you to make that marriage strong. Here's the quality I want you to understand: Faith must be present in you. Has to be present in you because the question will come up because there's no doubt there's someone in the audience who says, what if my spouse is not born again? Who did I say we were talking to? Talking to you. Faith must be present in you. I don't want to spend too long in this because we've got some other qualities to go over. But here's the thing about faith. Faith is more than just a word. It's more than just a verbal assent that Jesus is Lord. It's about how you live your life. It's about are you obeying? Because faith without works is dead. In other words, it's cheap. But faith must be present in you. So what if your spouse is not born again? This does not nullify your vow. God's not giving you an out because, well, you know, you made your choice and... You know, even though I told you, now that you understand that you're in the wrong person, let's get you out. No. No, you made a vow before God. This is why I want, sometimes we need to go back. Again, against objections, we said, I do. Against better counsel, we said, I do. And God said, you said, I do before me. You made a vow before me. Now it's time to make it strong. Now it's time to make it solid. Now it's time to be true. To the vow that you made. And I, again, I want to encourage you in this. This is not to make you feel as though, oh, this I want you to say you're supposed to be having a good marriage. Even if you married somebody, you think right now, what did we say last time? Don't say you married the wrong person. This person is yours. They belong to you. You belong to them. Make it good. You know, and there's this old song I can't get out of my mind. If you can't be with the one you love, you better learn to love the one you're with. <laughs> let, let me keep going. <laughs> Look at this. Though, though, here's the here's important thing to know. Turn to Proverbs chapter 18. You know, I, I reference this scripture <laughs> at times, and I laugh about it because I call it the, uh, the unmarried anthem. Uh, but it's a very powerful scripture. It, it really is because it speaks to us, and it is the truth. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 22. I call it them an unmarried anthem because they may not know many scriptures, but a lot of them know this one. Whoso findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. Again, this is, this is a scripture thing unmarried remember. They, they don't look over in First Corinthians chapter 7 and hear, I'm trying to spare you from trouble. And they see, no, no, who finds a wife finds a good thing. But it's a true statement. Who so findeth a wife, findeth a good thing, and obtaineth favor of the Lord. What does this mean? This means God is on your side when it comes to guidance in your marriage. Think about that now. (laughs) You know, sometimes we need this kind of encouragement. Sometimes we need to know God is on our side. And that gives us strength to employ the qualities we need to employ so we can have a good marriage so we can have a godly marriage so we can enjoy our marriage so so, so here's the thing about it let's take a believer out of marriage then what reach does God have to enter into that marriage none And, and so let's say that you are a married believer and you're married to somebody who's not a believer don't you know you have a direct line To the wisdom of God. (laughs) Glory to God. He's on your side. He's not sitting up there. Oh you deserve a bad marriage. He's not doing that. Especially. And here you are a godly woman. Let's say you're married to an ungodly man. God said that man man got favor with me. Just because you're in that marriage. Now the man needs a little help. And the help he needs is going to come from me, God. And you're the one who has a direct line with me. Use it. If you confess the Lord, call him up. (laughs) If you believe in the power (laughs) of the Holy Ghost, call him up and tell him what you want. Somebody heard from God. The born-again individual has the direct line to the wisdom of God when they seek it. Instead of sitting, sitting up here saying, woe is me, seek the wisdom of God. Instead of, instead, of, instead of sitting up here calling your spouse names, seek the wisdom of God. Instead of sitting up in a lonely room cursing the decision you made seek the wisdom of God. This means the born-again practice of praying is essential. It will be of the utmost importance. And it shouldn't only be used in the time of your stress. Hallelujah. See, walk by faith. Walk by faith. That means when the days are good, still use the faithful practices. When the days are evil, then you can just be as you always were. Because it's your routine. Because you're born again, and that quality is needed in your marriage. Now, I want you to understand this about God as well. Oh, I, I got to keep moving. But I want you to understand this about God. Especially those of you who want to pull out prayer only in the time of your stress. Here's what God is. God is not in a hurry. You might be. God, I need an answer now. God's like, I'm not in that kind of hurry, even though you might be. And one of the things I believe God wants us to learn is patience. And in this patience, I believe here's another thing God wants us to learn. That man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out the mouth of God. Now, now, now i say this to this end, because you might have had a situation that you prayed to God about in your marriage months ago. And we didn't touch on marriage till today. Or last week. And you might have tuned off when we weren't talking about marriage and we were talking about the unmarried. But in the teaching on the unmarried, he probably gave you something you needed to hear and you didn't quite grasp that you need to live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And you need to learn how to be patient. And you know here's what you do in patience. You wait on the Lord. And here's what it means to wait on the Lord. Do what you were told to do before and stay there. Until you get a new set of instructions. And here's the thing about a new set of instructions. They never will nullify what He told you to do before. They'll just add on to it. It's called growth. It's called progress. And so when you pray, God will answer. Here's how He's going to answer. He's going to answer through your local ministry. I know you didn't say amen, y'all to. That's how He's going to answer. He's going to answer through your local ministry. Because He placed you there. And in that place is the grace for you. And if you have favor with God, and you ask God and you seek God's wisdom, He has a place where He's going to provide you with that wisdom. He's going to provide you with that guidance. And you can't pick and choose which message is the one he's going to use to get the answer to you. So not only do you have to pray, you have to be consistent in hearing the word and obeying the word. Quality number one. Be the born again individual you say you are. Let's move on. Now, as we looked at the definition of marriage, it's a divine institution created by God, or by two rational, free moral agents, a male and a female, who are born again, choose to enter into a covenant relationship. Covenant. This is going to bring us to our second quality. Uh, let's, let's think about covenant. Okay, Marriage is a covenant. Turn to Romans chapter 7. Romans chapter 7 Marriage is a Covenant okay? And you must be Here's the quality You must be covenant minded You must be covenant minded I'll I'll explain as we go along What I mean by that But in Romans chapter 7 Verse 1 And 2 Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law. What law is this? This is the law of marriage. Who made this law? God and his institution so he can make the law. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by God's law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she's loosed from the law of her husband. But only if death enters in are you loosed from the requirements of God's law concerning marriage. So you need to understand this. It's not only a covenant, but you need to make sure that it's a binding covenant that you view as a lifetime covenant. What's a covenant? We're not going to go into details, but it's a special promise. It's a special promise, that's what it is. It's a special commitment. And you vowed it before God, and God honors that. That's why you find favor. That's why you better call him up. So you've entered into his institution, which is now a binding covenant, and according to his law of marriage, it's a lifetime covenant. Now turn to Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. This is going to get us into why we need to be covenant-minded. Joshua chapter 24. Joshua chapter 24. Let's start in verse 14. I'm going to read quite a bit of this and bear with me, but this will be good. Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. Now, now, now make sure I just start reading this. I'm, I apologize. Joshua's pe- speaking to the people. Joshua will call him the pastor is speaking to the congregation of Israel. And so, let's read this again with that understanding. So he's talking to them, he says, Now therefore fear the Lord, and serve Him in sincerity and in truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood, and in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. Serve the Lord. Verse 15. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you will serve whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now, this is so interesting to me because God has chosen this people. But God says, even after I chose you, I don't need you like that. So now it would be right for them to serve him. But he says, now if you don't want to serve me, choose who you're going to serve. I like that about my God. He's not losing sleep when you're not being faithful to Him. He's not tossing and turning. I wonder who they're sleeping with tonight. (laughs) Uh, I'm sorry. That's a setup for some other things. Let's keep reading. Verse 16. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. For the Lord our God He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt. Let me ask this question. Who brought them up? Who brought them up? Everybody say it now. God. Okay. I'm going somewhere with this. For the Lord our God, He it is that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage and which did those great signs in our sight. Who did those great signs in their sight? God. And preserved us in all the way wherein we went. And among all the people through whom we passed, who preserved them no matter where they went, no matter who they went through, God. And the Lord drove out before, uh, from before us all the people. Who drove them out? God did. The Lord drove out from before us all the people, even the Amorites which dwelt in the land. Therefore, will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. You know, this, I can go so many different ways with this. Because C- first of all, you know, who put up your dirty drawers? Who loved you when you weren't so lovely? Who put up with your mess? Who was with you through thick and thin? Who was there when you had nothing? Who was there when you had something? And you want to go after somebody else, you fool. But here it is, our God. And and Joshua said, now you need to make a decision, y'all. You know, you need to either serve God or not. And if you're not going to serve God, choose who you're going to serve. And they said, now now, wait a minute, let's think about this. Look at where we are versus where we had been. How did we get here? God. How do we make it through impossible situations? God. Who healed us in the midst of the wilderness? God. Who gave us victory over, over nations that were greater and mightier than us? God. We would be a fool to not serve Him. Verse 19. Listen to their past. And Joshua said unto the people, You cannot serve the Lord, for He is an holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions nor your sins. If ye forsake the Lord and serve strange gods, then He will turn and do you hurt and consume you. After that, He hath done you good. And the people said unto Joshua, Nay, but we will serve the Lord. Do you know we're in the midst of a covenant ceremony right now? Do you, Israel... Take the living God to be your God. Will you forsake all others and love Him only? They said, I do. Verse 22, And Joshua said unto the people, Ye are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen you, the Lord, to serve Him. And they said, We are witnesses. You see, the marriage license is being signed right now. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods, which are among... Throw away your black books. They don't have those anymore. You know, get rid of your social connections. (laughs) Stop following these people, because they're not your people any longer. Because you made your choice. Now, therefore, put away, said he, the strange gods, which are among you, and incline your heart unto the Lord God of Israel. And the people said unto Joshua, The Lord our God will we serve, and his voice will we obey. So Joshua made a covenant with the people that day and set them a statute and an ordinance in Shechem. And Joshua wrote these words in the book of the law of God and took a great stone and set it up there under an oak that was by the sanctuary of the Lord. And Joshua said unto all the people, Behold, this stone shall be a witness unto us. I'm sorry. It's like a wedding ring for it hath heard all the words of the Lord, which he spake unto us. It shall be therefore a witness unto you, lest ye deny your God. So Joshua let the people depart every man unto his inheritance. Now here's the thing about it. Now now Joshua said, now now you understand what's in the cup. You see, because once you commit yourself to God, you've got to be true to that commitment. You can't come off, you you can't start doing other things and think God God needs to just be alright and more forgiving of me. You know, he needs to understand, no, no, you signed up for this. And they understanding the price that needed to be paid said, yeah, but the benefits. See, they understand that there are benefits of being with God. Benefits are bound through covenant. Benefits are bound through covenant. The people recognize the benefits of being with God. So they wanted to secure the benefits. Do you hear me? You understand me? They recognize the benefits. So they wanted to secure the benefits. And the benefits are bound through covenant. Listen to me. You get the benefits when you keep the covenant. Ooh, that, that, to me that's hot. You get the benefits when you see. When you keep the covenant. we got a lot of churches filled with people who aren't keeping the covenant, seeking the benefits, aren't getting the benefits, and I wonder why. Because you got to keep the covenant if you want the benefits. Psalm 103. Psalm 103. we got people from the outside. When I say the outside, those are not born again. And they try to get in on counseling from the church house. And it won't work. It just will not work. Because the benefits are in the covenant. <laughs> Psalms 103. Yeah, and sometimes we forget those things. And we think the benefit is the cause of us. No, it's because you kept the covenant. It's because you stayed with the Lord. Sometimes we forget where our blessings come from. We've grown too big for our britches. But the benefits are in the Covenant. So that thy youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord executes righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Look at verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. I'm telling you, this just reminds me of David after he numbered Israel. He said, now if I've got to be put in anybody's hands, if I'm going to be punished for it, put me in the hands of God because I know he might be angry for a night. But he won't always... I know the benefits. Verse 10. Here are the benefits. He had not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Jump down to verse 17. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto children's children. Verse 18, to such as keep his covenant to those that remember his commandments to do them. You see that all those benefits, yeah, we rejoice in them, but are you keeping the covenant? Because the benefits are bound to the covenant and you get the benefits when you keep the covenant. Remember the quality. You have to be covenant minded. Let me make sure you understand what I'm saying. Get your mind off of you getting the benefits, and put your mind on you giving the benefits. I know, I know. Sometimes I, I just ran on people's parade. No! we're after we're seeking a godly marriage we're seeking a marriage we can enjoy you have the benefits that you give as a responsibility of your marriage covenant did you hear me do you understand that you have the benefits that you give as a responsibility to your marriage covenant You have covenanted yourself, giving your spouse the benefits of your qualities. Let that sink in. You have covenanted yourself, giving your spouse the benefits of your qualities. That's covenant minded. See, I made a covenant with you. I give you the benefits of my qualities. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's, it's, sometimes it, it puts a twist on it. Now, now, those who are where they're supposed to be, it's no big deal. But for those who are struggling, see, see here's the thing about when God answers. Here's what, when God answers you concerning direction in your marriage, you know what he's going to tell you? He's going to tell you, deal with you. And here's another thing God's going to tell you. Can, can I go here? I, I got to get back on subject. But here's one thing that God's going to tell you. Most of the times you're going to find out the thing that's worrying you, He's going to tell you it's not a big deal. I'm sorry, but it's just not that big. It might be a big deal in your mind. You need to deflate your mind because it ain't that big a deal. They always want to watch these movies I don't want to watch. You know it ain't that big a deal. They want to do these things I don't like to It's not that big a deal. <laughs> now let's deal with you. Because it's not that big a deal, you have come into yourself to give your benefits, your qualities, to the person. You said, I do too. Because just like you get the benefits, you're responsible to give the benefits. Let's run. Let's run. Turn to the book of Ruth chapter 1. Let's talk about another quality. Let's get into this real quick. The book of Ruth, chapter 1. As we turn there, I'm just going to read a section of Scripture, but I want to make sure you are where we are as I start to read this. Ruth, chapter 1, we have, in chapter 1, we're introduced to this family. We have a mother, a father, and two sons. They move from Israel to another land. The mother and the father have their two sons end up marrying. And then all the men die. So the woman are left. The mother and the in-law, the daughters-in-law, are left. And the mother is saying, I'm going to go back to where I came from. And I advise you, daughters-in-law, to go back to where you came from. So she's counseled them. And here we are in Ruth chapter 1, verse 14. And they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah, it's one of the daughters-in-law, kissed her mother-in-law. But Ruth, the other daughter-in-law, clave unto her. I just want to draw your attention to that word clave. Now, if you are familiar with it, you don't have to turn there, but Genesis 2 and 24. Very familiar passage of scripture that says, Therefore... Shall a man leave his father and his mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. That word cleave in Genesis 2 and 24, and we associate so much with marriage, is that same word used for cleaving here in Ruth 1 and 14. And what I, the reason I want to look at Ruth here is because Ruth is going to bring further clarification to what it means to cleave. And so cleave is such an essential part of marriage in God's eyes, because that was his statement in Genesis 2 and 24, that we need to get as much insight as we can into this cleaving. And Ruth is going to teach us about cleaving. So, verse 14 again, and they lifted up their voice and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother in law, but Ruth clave unto her. And she said, This is Naomi, the mother. Behold, thy sister in law has gone back unto her people and unto her gods. Return thou after thy sister in law. And Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave thee, art to return from following after thee. For whither thou goest, I will go. And where thou lodgest, I will lodge. Thy people shall be my people, and thy God, my God. Where thou diest, Will I die? And there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me. And more also, if aught but death. part thee and me. Wow. When she saw that she was steadfastly minded to go with her. Then she left speaking unto her. Wow, there's so many places I can go with that. Here you are, you're a believer and you're married to somebody who's not believing. And they're not leaving. Hallelujah. Lord, leave it alone. (laughs) Let's make it good. Let's make it good. But but here it is. Naomi's like, hey, hey, I'm counseling you. You need to just leave me. She's like, I'm not leaving you alone. I'm with you all the way. So, this is a life-defining choice that Ruth is making. She understands that. And... The evidence that she understands that, or the mark that it is so in her mind, is the commitment she expresses. So when she's explaining cleaving to us, she's showing to us what it means to be committed. That's the third quality. So we talked about being born again. Talked about being covenant minded. Now you got to be committed. You got to be committed. What do I mean by Committed. Keep it simple. I'm in it all the way. I'm in it all the way. What I mean by being committed? It means I'm dedicating my total self. My total self. I'm dedicating my total self, including my resources, to the fulfillment of my covenant. I'm giving it all. I'm bringing it all to the table. Everything that is me, I'll bring to the table to fulfill my covenant. I like how she said it. Your people? Oh, those are my people now. <laughs> my God? What God? Your God is my God. I'm in it all the way. Uh, what, what? Where you die? I'm going to die with you. <laughs> I'm going to be buried there. That's committed. I'm in it all the way. That means my mind, my body, my strength, my finances, my heart. It's all in. Glory to your name. You know, we have people like to keep their finances separate, whatever. others are committed. What do I mean by being committed? Oh, we know this no matter what. Keep it simple. I'm in it all the way. All of me. Is in, no matter what, you have made a covenant, my brother, my sister, that in essence says that I am with you no matter what. Now with this little time, I really want to make sure you understand this. I said it last time, I'm going to say it again. This is all in balance. Here's one thing you have to understand. It is God's institution, but he still reigns. Never confound the reign of God with God's institution. If in the midst of the institution, you are instructed to do something against the reign of God, God still reigns. You're not to follow your spouse into sin. See, there are boundaries you see, because sometimes people will try to take advantage of one another. You're supposed to submit to me. Uh, uh, excuse me. Excuse me. Oh, my goodness. Oh, I, I'm about out of time, but i got to say this in this climate that we live in today. You know, we're supposed to submit to government, but God still reigns. Government can't tell me to do something that's against my God and me just go along with it. No. And then we have people out here Who are believing a lie, thinking that, oh, just because the government says that I need to go with it. Now, I'm not preaching rebellion. I'm preaching God reigns. And anything that is contrary to righteousness, I'm not down with. Because God reigns. So it is in marriage. It is God's institution. And yes, God's favor is on that thing. Yes, He will provide when you seek Him concerning that thing. But know this, in the end of all things, there's no question who reigns. God reigns. So very everything that we say, when you're committed, you're committed under the reign of God. So when we say it's a, a lifetime covenant, it's a lifetime covenant under the reign of God. He still reigns in the midst of his institution. we got to make sure it's so. This has been a teaching message from Church of the Living Water at Austin. For more information about our ministry, please go to our website at LivingWaterAustin.net.